Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith, Burnley fan. I write and edit the Nona and have a Substack newsletter that goes out periodically. You can also follow me on Twitter slash X slash whatever you want to call it, at Jamie Smith Sport. Hi, I'm Tadiwa, host of A Tad Predictable Podcast, Liverpool fan. Um, you can follow me on Twitter or the app formerly known as Twitter, at Tad Predict. Hi, I'm Jake, a Newcastle fan. You can get me on Twitter at JakeJackDoubleTwins. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Um, I figured we may as well start off by talking about uh, Everton who are just in the news for a lot of reasons right now. Um, Probably the one that most people heard about this week was obviously uh, succeeding in their appeal against their points deduction, um, which didn't reduce it to zero, obviously, but they're now um, five points above the relegation zone. Um, There's been more (laughs) lawsuits kind of bandied about uh, around 777 partners, um, which are their potential future owners. Um, There's obviously been more uh, developments in images and videos of the Brimley Moore Dock Stadium. Uh, as that kind of nears completion. And then, from a footballing sense, they haven't won a match in the Premier League since December 16th, which doesn't seem ideal. Um, so anyway, just from the outside looking in, what are you guys making of everything that's going on at Everton right now? I think it's it's a lot of sort of chickens have coming home to roost at that club that's been badly managed on and off the pitch for a few years now. Um, I do have some sympathy over the initial points deduction, it, it did maybe seem harsh, but only really because there's no transparency or clarity from the Premier League over what the sort of levels of punishment are. Everton have been treated as a bit of a test case, really, um, with the, the investigations that are ongoing into Man City, Chelsea, Nottingham Forest. Um, so Everton were the first to get that punishment. And I think it always felt likely that, a reduction was going to come. I think it was almost baked into the initial 10 points that Everton would appeal, uh, throw lawyers at the appeal and try and get it cut. So I think cutting it to six points was always probably in the Premier League's initial thoughts when when they set that punishment at first, which I think that really calls into question the integrity of the table when teams have points deductions that seem likely to be reduced. I think the impact on every other team around them in the league is it's really hard to quantify. Like if you're Luton, for example, you've gone from looking like you had a decent chance of getting out of the relegation zone to suddenly you've got to find four more points. Um and there's a lot of sort that Everton could face a separate second points deduction for other financial rule breaking. Nottingham Forest have got the same thing going on. Like if you're Luton and you're within 
almost touching distance of these two clubs, it must be very difficult to to just know what's going on. Um, I think they've been managed badly financially. It's difficult because I think the previous ownership, the Bill Kenwright era, he was sort of putting as much money in as he had. We've had similar owners at Burnley in the past where people have complained that they haven't been spending more money and they're just not super rich people. Like, what do you want them to do? They're spending what they've got. Um, so Everton had an era where they were run quite sustainably and the success on the pitch depended on hitting in the transfer market, having a manager that was overperforming, all the things that these sort of mid-table, traditionally mid-table safe clubs have had to do. But I think Everton fans, I understand the frustration and they haven't won for a while, but I think Everton fans have an issue with just having ideas above their station. It's a long time since Everton were a big club. It's a long time since Everton have competed for trophies, since they were competing for European qualification. It's a long time. Um, They are sort of mid-table fodder and going to be in relegation scraps. That's just what Everton is right now. Um, But the points deductions, for me, it's, it's something that we really need to nail down what rule-breaking constitutes a points deduction. What points deduction is it going to be? Everyone else in the league needs to know what's going on because at the minute it's chaos and there's talk that the Forest and Everton cases aren't going to be sorted by the end of this season. So how's the relegation picture going to work? Yeah, I, I think you raise a good point with regards to the league is somehow being asked to trying to figure out where Everton even sit in the table. We know Nottingham Forest are another one that they're going to have a points deduction soon. We don't know where that stands. I think, for me, the the issue has always been when it comes to stuff like this, when someone's done something wrong or been found to do something wrong, then the punishment is meant to, one, it's meant to punish them for what they've done, and two, it's meant to deter others from doing it. I'm of the position that the points deduction so far, if if I'm Everton, if you think about it, if they had spent that money in the right way, it would have been worth it, <laughs> like to to have broken the rules, because you probably would have been in a way better position than you would have been if if you hadn't broken the rules. So I I still don't know if the deterrence has been big enough. And two, I don't think it's fair for clubs that are fighting in the relegation zone when you think Everton throughout the season are kind of going to know what they need in order to stay in the league. I think if if, if you're going to, if they're going to be this serious about financial fair play, which I, I still don't think we, we've seen them being all too serious about it from my perspective, surely then say, if you break the rules, we'll decide at the end of the season what your points deduction is. Because it, then it doesn't give them a chance to look at the thing and assess it and be like, okay, we, we're going to lose 10 points. We're, we're sitting with 20 points at the moment. This is where we sit. No, go into the season. Um, at the end of the season, we'll tell you what you've lost. Or, or I, I don't know. There has to be a better way to figure it out than constantly moving them up and down the table, depending on whether an appeal is successful or not. But in terms of the, the stadium itself that they're building, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, it's it's going to be a really, really good stadium. Whether or not it's going to be financially viable for them to 
I guess maybe it's going the the commercial route of of making sure there are concerts and all kinds of things happening at that ground. But we know Man United are in discussions about whether or not to build a new stadium or redevelop Old Trafford. They're leaning towards building a new stadium. So it's another brand new stadium, probably going to be nicer than Everton's, I'd assume, with the financial power Man United have, that's going to be in that area that will probably be competing for the same type of commercial deals that Everton will be wanting to get in terms of concerts and, and performances and all of that stuff. So it, it's going to be interesting to see if, if it becomes viable. But yeah, for me, I'm, I'm not happy with how they, they, they're yo-yoing up and down the table during the course of a season. I don't think it's fair on teams in and around them. I also don't think it's fair on the players, the manager, the the whole club as uh, you know that is Everton. Um, if if you listen to a lot of uh, Everton podcasts this weekend, most of it was talking about how we, they feel that the uncertainty is now you know and, and and probably has been for a while affecting the players themselves. Um, because you're in limbo, you don't know where the club stands. It's kind of hard to focus on 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 the ninety minutes on the job at hand focus in training. It just seems like such a distraction that that the club doesn't need at the moment, especially when when they're trying to, you know, fight a relegation battle and, and get focused on that. But yeah, I, for me, I think it it's it shows perhaps maybe the pressure that the Premier League was on to make a decision and make a decision quickly, especially after how long the Man City decision has taken. Uh, they felt these ones they they could kind of make quicker decisions on because it's not as complex as the Man City situations. But I, I don't think they've thought it through correctly, in my in my opinion, in terms of procedure and and what effect it has on the rest of the league, on Everton themselves. Um, yeah, I, I guess we'll see. It, it's still not over. They could still get even more points deductions. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um... To be fair, on the pitch, I think Everton have been pretty good this season, mostly. Um, probably should have more points than they do have, even if you disregard the points deduction. Um, they've been pretty good. Um, one of the best defensive teams. So I think Sean Dyche did a pretty good job there, especially considering the circumstances. Not sure I quite agree with uh, Tad there, but saying that you should just be able to uh, decide at the end of the season based on based on how a team does. That seems a little bit unfair. Um I don't really like any any relegations being decided by or, or promotions for that, or anything being decided in a courtroom after a season. I think once the once the season finished, that finished, that should be it. And whatever whatever points deductions haven't been applied should be applied to the next season because it just makes a bit of a farce of it all. Like you, you know, you get your scenes of matches of the other team getting relegated, and then suddenly they're they're staying up and it doesn't really sit well with me. Um, obviously, they're the Premier League trying to balance a way to sort of manage these. Uh, Profit and sustainability regulations, but by the sounds of it, they're being eased up a lot for next season anyway. So this probably might be the only time we ever see a, a team or two get get hit by them uh, in Everton and Forest, which, which is again making me feel quite quite sorry for for both those clubs. It kind of feels like they've broken the rules, but now majority of clubs have decided all oh, the rules up for them anyway. So we're just going to change them. So it's a bit of a, bit of a joke, to be honest. Um, so yeah, we'll see, see what happens with that, but it does sound like the uh, the amount of losses a club can make is going to get significantly increased. So uh, yeah, it doesn't kind of make the deductions being applied now feel a little bit farcical. Um, but yeah, I feel for Everton. 
they're probably going to stay up. Same with Forest. I think the the three promoted clubs have, have not really made the jump to the Premier League, and it's not really surprising. The gap between the Championship and the Premier League gets bigger every season. You just have to look down at the the Championship this season to look at the table and, and see what's happening there. With the exception of Ipswich, you know, there's three clubs that went down are probably going to all be in. Two of them will probably go up automatically, or at least one will. Another one probably through the playoffs. So yeah, it's the gap's getting huge, um, and that's kind of the point of why they brought in these regulations to, to sort of protect clubs and increase that competitiveness. But it's probably had the opposite effect. It's you know the gap's getting bigger. The even the gaps between the top clubs in the league and, and the clubs sort of seventh to twentieth are getting bigger. Yeah. Difficult. It's difficult for me to really think that there should be these financial regulations in place, but especially as nobody really seems to know how to how to run punishments or or exactly what the rules should be. I I just think that they should. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I think, but I do think that Everton have been treated pretty harshly. Same with Nottingham Forest. And yeah, if the rules do change as as expected, and 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 one of those clubs go down because of it this year, just sort of leave a sour taste in the mouth. But there we go. Um, but yeah, I think Everton will be, if they stay up the season, they'll probably be pretty happy. Um, and when they get the new stadium, their sort of revenues will go up anyway, and they'll probably get back to competing with that sort of top top 10, probably long term. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I do feel sorry for them, that's, that's the main takeaway. But yeah, I, I don't think there's going to be any any big changes um, in how this deters Premier League clubs from spending, because I think they're going to change the rules anyway. Interesting. Well, obviously, uh, an impossible question to answer since we don't know how all of these uh, different potential deductions for other clubs or even Everton, again, as JB mentioned, are going to pan out. But do we think Everton are likely going to be safe either because of that or because of their performances on the pitch, despite not really picking up any wins for some time now? I think so, yeah. I think um, I think Todd's right that the, the speculation has been impacting performances. I feel for sure Daesh is in a position that he probably had an inkling that this was all going to come to the fore, um, but he had to take the job anyway, I think. So he's working under very, very difficult conditions. Obviously, results have nosedived a bit. I know their fans are not really happy with um, the style of play either, but at the end of the day, they're in a relegation fight. You have to play the way that you think you can get results. I think if it comes down to it and they have more points taken off them, Dash will find a way to get results. I think Everton... And they've got weaknesses in the squad. They're over-reliant on Calvert-Lewin, who's obviously got a lot of injury issues. He's not been particularly good even when he's been fit this season. Um, I, I don't rate Jordan Pickford particularly highly, even though he's done well for, for England. I think he's always got mistakes in him at, at Premier League level. Um, but I think, yeah, I think they'll squeeze out enough. Partly, as Jake says, because the, the bottom three is so poor in comparison to the rest of the league. I think it's going to be really difficult for but anything to get them out barring really big points deductions. And um, it's like you say, it's impossible to, to guess what's going to go on with the next cases because they really seem to be dragging them out. I think the important thing for Everton is defensively, they look quite decent. Um, obviously the big issue for them is struggling to put the ball in the back of the net and, Lo and behold, when they finally get a penalty this season, Calvert-Lewin, the guy they probably want to, to, to take a penalty just to boost his confidence, is sat on the bench uh, and then Beto goes and misses it. So, yeah, it, it's 
it's more the issues up front, whether or not they can score goals. But the fact that they, they're quite solid defensively, I think, keeps them in games for um, a lot longer than some of the other teams that are below them, in my opinion. And I think that that will help them, I think, navigate this these these tricky waters. And barring any big you know swing in terms of another points deduction against them, uh, I think they should stay up. Yeah, I think they'll stay up. Um, I think even if they haven't won games recently, um, they were very unlucky yesterday. I know 3-1 looks like a pretty mm. comprehensive home win, but it was one all off the stoppage time. Everton had a ton of chances. Ariola made loads of good saves. Everton missed a penalty. Most other days, they win that game. So, um, and yeah, West Ham are they were a good team. If you look at the tables, if they're, if they're sort of putting on that performance of West Ham, when they come up against some of the teams below them or around them on the table, they should pick up points. So, yeah, I think they'll be fine. Um, they've got a lot of good players. Like, if you look at the Everton squad compared to, to Luton, Burnley and uh, Sheffield United, like, they've just got a bet. They've just got better players. They've got a manager who's done it before. James is very good at managing in these situations. He's probably been the perfect manager for them during this sort of time of financial uncertainty. So, yeah, I think... Um, and they'll be absolutely fine. And I think they'll probably pick up, they'll do it on the pitch. I think even if they got another six points taken off them, I, I don't think that's going to be enough. I think they'll I think they'll pick up more than enough points. I think Luton threatened to go on a bit of a run, but we've seen in the last few weeks, they just concede too many goals. Uh, and that's the one thing Everton don't do. They've got, they've got Pickford, who's, whatever you think of him, he's a solid goalie at this level. They've got um, Brown Freight, who's been excellent this year. Uh, you know, he's another one that they could probably sell in the summer to sort of ease that, that financial fair play issue if, if it does still stick around. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be fine. Gotcha. And uh, you raised the point that, you know, a 3-1 loss looks really bad. Obviously, two of those goals came after the 90th minute, which is always going to make a scoreline look worse. And obviously the result, because it looked like they might have been able to at least hold on to a draw there. Um, but that was... the. But they were not the only ones to fall prey to that. Um, ben Krellen, who people may know from all of the FPL Blank Game Week spreadsheets and everything like that, um, tweeted out yesterday uh, that there were five teams that are all in the relegation fight, in theory, and all of them lost points in the 80th minute or later. This was on Saturday, um, which is pretty incredible that in the last 10 minutes, but obviously with additional stoppage time, that, that many results flipped against teams that are kind of in the fight for Premier League survival. And I was curious if you guys are reading into that fact um, and if you think it's just like bad luck or proof that added subs is now having a meaningful effect that's benefiting the bigger clubs or is it just there's more time? I, I just, uh, I have many thoughts on this, but I'm curious to hear yours. I, I think it's probably a mix of factors like any sort of trend that emerges. I think there's more than one thing that you could put your finger on what it is. I think you're right in the the more time that's played in games this season, obviously it's become common to see eight, nine, ten minutes at a time. At Burnley on Sunday, we had six in the first half, eight in the second, I think. And that was, again, it didn't have that much controversy, really, just a few common VAR checks. So um, I think the longer games go on is always going to benefit teams with better players on paper because they've got more time to to show that quality. I was really against the change to five subs for the same reason. I think that was really a change that was going to benefit the bigger clubs that was completely unnecessary. I understood why they did it for the COVID seasons, but I don't think it was right to continue that. I think um, giving these bigger clubs that can stockpile players and have much more strength in depth, more opportunity to change games with players from the bench, 
just stacks the deck even more in their favour. You look at the bench that a Burnley or a Sheffield United have got compared to the, the teams at the top, and it's just night and day. It's ridiculous. And being able to change almost half of the team, it's not just fresh legs, it's having so many different options in terms of tactics and uh, being able to change formations. And I think the bigger clubs just have enough advantages without giving them that. Um, I think when you're down the bottom, things do tend to go against you, whether that's partly bad luck or players are just more likely to make mistakes or switch off, have bad concentration, whatever it is. I think it's certainly, historically, I wouldn't be surprised if teams at the bottom conceded more goals late on um, than other teams, probably partly because they concede more goals altogether. Um, um, to be honest, I'm just jealous of teams that can still be in a match going into injury time. That would be really nice. Burnley <laughs> <laughs> tend to have games done and dusted long before we get to that part of the game. So yeah, I'd, I'd take losing to a 90-second minute goal at the minute. That would be quite good. Yeah, I'd, I'd... I think the um, the whole the bigger squads can obviously assemble deeper squads is it, it runs true more so in these situations where in the last minutes you know you're bringing on Adawa Nunes, a Sabozlai off the bench. You you know it, these these are players that would be normal starters for you. Um, and obviously, you know, we know that the riches that a, a Man City has, even a Chelsea when, when their whole squad is fit. Um, just the, the depth of players that, that are coming off the bench are players that probably um, would be star players for a lot of other teams, not just in the Premier League, but all around Europe. So I think that is a factor. I think also um, the amount of minutes that are being played now it, it's kind of, I don't know if, it, if ironic is the right word, in, in that it seems like the actual, the, the game plan for a lot of the teams lower in the table would be to try and um, stop the ball being in play as long as possible. But then now that time is being added on. For example, the, the Liverpool game, obviously the fume was, oh, Liverpool scored um, in the 99th minute when it was 98 minutes at a time. Well, there were two yellow cards for time-wasting for Nottingham Forest. There were injuries. Um, the Nottingham Forest keeper was injured for at least two to three minutes. He was lying on the ground injured. Obviously, there was the Kanata incident as well that took up time. So when you watch the game, all that time-wasting then gets added on at the end of the game, and then you concede, and then you, woe is me. That, that to me, is, is kind of which is why I was saying, is, is it ironic to point it that way? But again, how else are you meant to play if, if Nottingham Forest don't try and slow the game down and waste time in that situation? It was likely Liverpool probably run away with that game. So it seems like that ability to take away the, the amount of minutes that um, other teams can play and has had a factor in so many late goals because there's so much added time on you can't really use that as a tactic too well anymore to to waste time and and hope that you know the referee only adds two minutes. It seems like they're adding most, if not all, of the time that has been in inverted commas wasted through throughout the the 45 minutes on either side of the half. But yeah, I, I think it's the five subs thing. Um, 
Um, it's it's a tricky one. Either the the leagues in general just make an agreement to reduce the amount of games that teams are playing, then you can go back to three subs. But with the amount of football that teams are playing, you you kind of have to keep the five subs. And we all know this is a money-making game, so there's no way they're going to reduce the amount of games. If anything, they'll try and add more games uh, as, as the years go on. So I don't see them um, removing that five subs. I, I have a sneaky feeling that was a compromise that was made to say, look, you're increasing the amount of games. It's not going to stop. The, the increase in games, they're always trying to add as many games as possible because then it's money for everyone. Um, so at least, okay, here you've got five subs that you can use in in games. But yeah, it, it, it seems like a lot of the rules that have come in, as I said, with the five subs, with the time wasting now not really being um, as as effective as it used to be, it seems like it's moving towards more favoring the bigger teams from from the outside looking in or inside looking out, how, however you want to phrase it as, as a Liverpool fan, I guess. Um, it was annoying as a Liverpool fan with the time-wasting stuff, but I can put my hat on uh, as a, a neutral hat on and say, well, that, you know, deal with it. You know, deal with the fact that teams are slowing teams, things down, try and go and beat them. But... It seems like the bigger clubs have gotten their way in in that being an, an element that's been phased out. We've seen in, in different sports, maybe Kev, you're more attuned to this with with the American sports, where they've tried to change rules to to favor the attacking team or the offensive team, or mm. to make scoring you know more scoring because it's obviously exciting to see goals. So. Um, are there ways to make you know more goals go in? It seems like this is one of those things. And then the last thing I'll say is with regards to just um, the when 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 you get tired, um, especially in sport, the first thing to go is is the mind. So if you're in a team that is holding on to a lead and it's late on in a game and you're starting to get tired, it's been pretty from a mental perspective and a physical perspective being pr a pretty tough game to concentrate make sure you're in the right position okay the ball's moved there i need to be here who's marking him is this my man is he my man i'm passing a man on okay i'm clearing the ball i'm like it's just so mentally exhausting that by the time you get to the end of the game when you are exhausted it takes that one second to switch off and when they've got fresh players coming on that are of the caliber of you know players that can start for for majority of teams, it you can see how it, it's easier for them to then go and get these late winners and and obviously to the detriment of maybe teams that can't necessarily do that. Yeah, it's difficult difficult to say much more. I think most of it's been covered. I think it's just one that is. I think this weekend it was just mainly a quirk of quirk of the fixture list. Just occasionally those things will happen. Um, but as Jamie and Tyler both said, that you know the better teams are always likely to score goals near the end of games. You know, partly game state. You know, you know the weak teams to defend and try try and set the point. And when you do that, you, you kind of increase the chances of of, of conceding. Um, also, the time wasting. You know, that gets added on now. So longer games. The the teams that are used to playing those longer minutes and stuff are the you know the, the better teams so yeah i think and i also think you know nerves come into it if you're fighting at the bottom of the table you get so close 
so much harder then to hold out like it you're so close to it it becomes harder it, it sort of becomes a mental thing more than anything else um but yeah i think i think it was just a, a quirk of the fixture list um and just generally better teams will score more goals at the end of matches and worse teams will concede more is probably the probably the same trends happen throughout the rest of the game as well and um, there's probably some weeks but you know <laughs> where the opposite is true, where all these teams have conceded in the first 10 minutes. Uh, the way football works. But yeah, may, maybe the, the strength of the squads and the, the game state and yeah, the, just the, the general nerves and the me- mental strength that it takes that, that can sometimes become an issue. Yeah, you all have made, obviously, some excellent points there. So I said I had a lot of thoughts, but I kind of led with them and then you all uh, brought up a lot of great ones on your own. It is, I, I think, in this microcosm of one weekend, just crazy weird luck. But I'm all of these factors are certainly at play and will continue to be at play uh, for the foreseeable future. All right, uh, now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we are back. Jamie, I wanted to start off with you. Uh, you actually got to make it uh, to go see Burnley this weekend. I was curious your thoughts on the match. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was curious your thoughts on the match and the atmosphere, which even on the broadcast in America, we could hear fans singing, you're not fit to wear the shirt at the players on the pitch. Yeah, it's a strange one because I think in some ways it's probably the best we've played for a few weeks and in others it was just more of the same. Um, There's a lot of speculation this week that the company would finally make some changes to the tactics and the team. Uh, We saw one force change with the captain, Josh Brownell, obviously having to drop out of the centre-off last weekend until he was suspended. Josh Cullen came in instead. Uh, Cullen was a really important player for his last season, basically plays at the back midfield, takes the ball off the defenders, knits the play together. So he's been out of the team recently, and I don't think it's any surprise that our attacking threat has kind of collapsed in that period with with Cullen not in the side, helping us maintain possession, basically. Uh, So I thought Cullen had a really good game. We created quite a few chances in the first half, didn't put them away. We really lack a cutting edge in the final third, which is no real surprise when you look at where we are in the league. And as we've done all season, we gave away a cheap opening goal and heads kind of dropped when that happened because it's been so rare that we've been able to come back from um, deficits and claim any sort of result. Um, same issues as it's been all season, really, with the company. You got the team wrong, even though he made a couple of changes. He had 
Vitinho playing on the wing when he's really more of a fullback. He had wingers on the bench that would have been better options. Jay Rodriguez really needs to be in the team playing up front instead of the guys that he's playing up front. Doro O'Shea has been really poor at centre-back. James Trafford, I've talked on the podcast before, he's just not good enough in goal. Aro Miri should be playing instead. So there's all these changes that he really should make to the team. Hasn't. Tactically, he did change things a bit today with Colin back in the team. We were able to progress the ball. Um, John, who I think has been on the show before, talking about Leeds when Leeds were in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, John did an interesting thread about how Burnley were escaping Bournemouth's press and sort of dominating the game from, from that point of view. And a lot of people were posting screenshots of the stats at the end of the game as if they mean absolutely anything out of context. Context is Burnley played well for 10 minutes, then gave Bournemouth a goal and Bournemouth knew that they just had to hold on and win the game. Um, so the XG becomes a bit irrelevant in that way. Uh, the atmosphere, I'm surprised it hasn't turned more toxic to be honest uh obviously Bournemouth's second goal came late in the game a lot of fans left when that went in which isn't really a surprise when everyone knows that the game's essentially over um there was a few boos at the end but nothing dramatic i wouldn't say it was a mass outpouring it made a headline in one of the national newspaper reports and i thought i was a bit curious because it wasn't a lot of booing i didn't think the only thing that really has has been notable that the fans are really showing displeasure is that they've been chanting for Manuel Benson to play more. Benson was one of our best players last season, played a huge part in the running, seemed to score the same goal half a dozen times to win games in the running, including the goal that won us the league at our rivals. So the fact that he's essentially disappeared from view this season has been a curiosity. Um and he only got 15 minutes off the bench today, even with us losing. So it's been a funny one. I think companies escapes a lot of criticism, mainly on his name and obviously the credit that he's built up from last season. The atmosphere has been bad all season, really. I think last year we got used to dominating the ball, winning games easily. Fans have got a bit complacent and forgot that you have to try and lift the players as well. But I can see the other side as well in that the players haven't really shown they haven't shown that they want the fight. They haven't shown that they're really up for the scrap against relegation. So the fans have had nothing to get behind them for either. Um, yeah, I'm more surprised that it hasn't been a worse atmosphere, to be honest. Gotcha. Yeah, that's certainly interesting. Do, do you feel like there's just like a resignment? Is that the word that I want? Um, that you're just going to go back down and you're just going to crush it again with Vincent Company and you'll just get it right the next time? everyone seems to be hoping that. I mean, you look at the league table and even before Everton had some of those points given back, I think our chances of relegation were slim to none. We're just not picking up results, not looking like we're going to pick up results. We're so far adrift so late in the day. Um, we've won a handful of games all season and we need to start winning almost every game to have a chance. So I think fans have accepted long ago that we are down. Um, the fact the company's still in charge suggests that we're hoping that he's just going to bring us back up. But the team is completely different to to the Champions team from last season. I think it's asking a lot for this team to make the Championship look as easy as last year's team. Um, every summer in recent years, we've had quite a big squad turnover as well. I would suspect it'll probably be quite similar again. 
I think the issue I have with is keeping company, and I would have sacked him months ago, not just weeks, because I think he's shown very little tactical development as a Premier League manager. Um, and I think if you were going to make that change, you had to do it early enough in the season to have a chance of staying up. Otherwise, what's the point? It's far too late now. My issue with keeping company is that he doesn't look like he's adaptable. He looks like he has one way of playing, and if that doesn't work because he doesn't have the players that are good enough to make it work, then he's got nothing. Um, he's lost his temper a few times. He's had three bookings, which might be more than anyone else in the league. He missed one of the games, had to watch from the stands the other week. So I think he's shown frustration and he makes decisions that don't make sense. Maybe we will get relegated and walk the league again. Every time we've been in the championship for the last few years, we've made it look easy. So there is a chance that that happens again. But my concern would be what's company learned? Has he learned lessons from this season? Would it be different the next time? Or is it going to be more of the same? Because what we've seen this season is that he's not learning. He's making the same mistakes every week. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty brutal. And as you said, uh, th- he's gotten some praise for some of his like tactical ideas. But I don't know if there's been a single week where uh, of the several Burnley fans that I follow, anyone's been pleased with the team selection. And I'm just very curious how how that split exists. Where it's like, well, I guess you're just better at scouting and planning for opposition than you are at knowing your best team. But very, very odd, uh, especially considering some of the jobs that he was kind of being mooted for last year. Like he was this ready-made um, top-level manager and then seeing the kind of struggles and issues that he's had at Burnley this year. Um, all that to the side... I'd love it if you pulled off a miracle and stayed in the Premier League. And if not, I do hope you go and get another 100-point season uh, in the championship. <laughs> it's just so you can have some fun again. Um, <laughs> welcome to you next, Tad, to talk a little bit about Liverpool. Obviously, uh, this was a little bit ago now. But it really surprised me um, when Klopp mentioned that this Carabao Cup final was the most special trophy in his career. Uh, I'll limit it just to the Liverpool part uh, <laughs> to make it a little bit easier on you. But were you surprised that he said that? Obviously, there were a lot of injury issues and you were having to play a bunch of kids. Um, but but was that a surprise to you? And do you think the fan base generally agrees that that's the most special of the trophies he's at least won uh, at your club? Um, I, I get why he said it. I think it's... Um... A, a very emotional choice, knowing that, you know, maybe this could be the last trophy I ever win. If he does stay retired, um, I, I don't know if he will end up staying retired, but if he does stay up retiring, uh, retired, it's a possibility that this could be the last trophy he ever won. And the manner in which he won it with a team that he definitely wouldn't have expected to be fielding at the beginning of the season, let alone a month ago. Um and facing obviously Chelsea and and uh, they they had injuries too to be fair to them but uh, facing that Chelsea squad I think um, taking all of that into account I get why he's saying it was the most special for him um, maybe it you know Klopp's not really one of those guys that I, I'd say lives in the moment when he wins things he's always you know deflecting things to oh we'll speak about it you know afterwards when when i'm done we can talk about how good or bad i was whether or not this was a great you know team or not he he's always trying to push it 
forward to when he's done, when he's done. Well, it's coming up to when he's done. Um, so maybe that's probably what hit him and, and, and why he said that. But there's also the other thing of managers always say stuff like this. You know what I mean? Um, sure. the, 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 the latest trophy is always special. You know, uh, Pep Guardiola once said, we, you know, we, we could never replace Aguero. And then they signed Haaland. Like, this is just what managers say. Um, I, I think it's part of, um, you know, maybe helping the players to, to to feel that confidence and that love from the manager. It, it could be mind games um, as well. But I, I do think uh, a lot of it had to do with him starting to realize that, okay, this is coming to an end. Um, I didn't expect this team to be playing more so to, to necessarily win with this team. Um, hence why it, it felt so special to him. Got it. I, I was very surprised, obviously. It was like, the Premier League? Uh, obviously, it was a weird season, but um, obviously that was the one that fans had been clamoring for for a while. Um, <clears throat> one of those teenagers, although I, I think he only came on as a sub, um, was uh, Jaden Dans, who uh, I've already seen some pretty hot takes about how good he currently is or just how good he could be. Um, do you think we'll we'll see him soon be a regular fixture in your starting eleven, or is this more of a one to two years down the road kind of situation? Um, well, we've got a few players coming back soon, so maybe he might um, he might not feature as heavily. I, I guess time will tell on that front. the The interesting thing is, obviously, I, I probably could have been better at telling you how it would have panned out over the next two years if Klopp had stayed in charge. Um, we have no clue what the, the new manager's style is going to be and approach to young players. But if Klopp had stayed, um, it would have been a situation of Dan's would come in, play a couple of games, eased out, come in, play a couple of games, eased out just to keep the pressure off him. We've seen Klopp do that with a lot of players, you know, the, the, the exception being Trent, but that's the point. He's the exception to the rule. You look at the likes of Curtis jo- Jones, um, Harvey Elliott, for example, where they look like they're playing at the beginning of the season. They get a lot of minutes, and then you don't see them for the second half of the season. And a lot of that is getting them into the team, showing them what they need to be doing. Then, second half of the season, maybe it's more an analytical side of things of, okay, this is what you did in the first half of the season. This is what we need you to work on now to get ready for next season. And then they build and build and build the players from that perspective. But in terms of the new manager, I guess I, I don't know. What, what I am impressed with with uh, Dan's about is he seems to have that that striker's knack of knowing where to be and, and, and being not just necessarily knowing where to be in the box, but outside the box as well being an option to hold the ball up for the team and, and lay it off and, and, spin around the defender and go for a run. Um, obviously highly touted uh, uh, as a youngster at the academy, but I'm, I'm not the right person to ask about academy players' futures in the sense of I, 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 I've given up trying to predict which academy players are going to make it. Sure. I've heard so many academy players that are the next Messi and the next Ronaldo and the next Michael Owen that aren't even playing football now and they're 25 years old. So <laughs> from my perspective, I hope he makes it. He looks promising. Um, but for me, I, I like to let them grow and, and see what the future holds because so many of them have just never made it. 
Yeah, that's definitely a, a fair thought, but a name to keep an eye on. Who knows? Maybe he's the next Messi. That's what Tad said. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll add to Jake to talk about Newcastle. Uh, Jake, I saw your uh, tweet yesterday about the performance just finally being nice and controlled. It, relatively easy is not a thing that you said. I'll say for you. Um, I was just curious your thoughts on that. What, what do you think led to that finally being that kind of, I don't know about statement win, but, but maybe stabilizing win that you accomplished yesterday? Um, I think Eddie humbled himself a little bit and stopped trying to play such high press, high high up the pitch football. Uh, because it, it did work a lot last season, but we had different players last season. Um, and this season, we've, a lot of our players are fatigued. I think Bruno Gimarash might have played more minutes than anybody else in the Premier League this season, or it's close to. Take, take all competition into account. He's very, he's, he's very up there, and, and he's been playing with Sean Longstaff. He's played a lot of football. Lewis Miley played, has played a lot of football for his age. So just played a lot of football, and he just looked very leggy. And I'd say probably for the last two months, it's been massive gaps between our defence and midfield, um, where teams are just taking advantage of it. And it's not even particularly been the good teams taking advantage of it. It's been every team like we've conceded four against Luton at home, which is you know bad for for anybody. But especially a team that has um, hopes of getting into the top four. Um, that that's one thing, um, and I think that you know just lower confidence as well. So that's uh, that's a, that's a, another reason for our performances. But yesterday we sort of played deeper in the pitch. Um, we there, there wasn't. A, bigger gaps between our defensive midfield. I think we saw it in the first goal um, where we had, I think, I think we had eight men sort of in our own third and then we won the ball back and then very quickly uh, transitioned from defence to attack um, and scored a goal. It was sort of counter-attacking football. Uh, that's how we played yesterday. I think Wolves had 58% of the ball or, or close to. So we sort of just sort of sat back, conserved our energy, made sure there wasn't those big gaps to exploit. And then when we won the ball back, we attacked. It was. It wasn't top level football, but it was sort of necessary for where we are at the moment. Um, just low on confidence, still lacking a few players in our first eleven. Um, Pope's been the biggest miss. Like I think he, he's another reason why there's been those big gaps within defensive midfield. Seems crazy to say it about goalie, but he's so aggressive off his line that we don't defenders have trust to be higher up the pitch. Um, whereas now they're dropping back with Dubravka and this is leaving those massive gaps. So yeah, we sort of took a step back yesterday. Eddie humbled himself, sort of played a played a better style of football for the players we have available, and we were very comfortable winners. And like Gary O'Neill said after the match that he thought their structure caused our structure a lot more problems than than ours did them. But seems strange thing to say when I think we had more shots. I think we had five big chances to their zero. Like I, I, don't, I don't know how you can say that, but. There we go. It was, it was a better performance. It was really important. We got back to winning ways at home. We haven't won at home for a while. So, yeah, it was a big win. And with Brighton um, and Chelsea dropping points, um, Manchester United too, obviously, that our, our position table looks a lot healthier now. And we can sort of try and attack that sixth place. I don't think we're going to get any higher, despite what Emery's been said about Newcastle being still being in that Champions League pitch. I don't think that's quite true. But we've got a good fixture on. We've played the top four twice this season so we don't have to play any of them again so I think from now on we can try and push up that table but yeah I think six is, is very viable. Gotcha you kind of answered my next question for me which was going to be 
obviously it's been a disappointing season. What were your kind of expectations for the rest of the season? I think six is a, a reasonable point to try to reach. Um, given all the issues that you've had this season, uh, obviously issues probably chief amongst them, do you think there will be a significant reaction at the end of the season, either in terms of the playing squad or the staff? Or do you think this can largely be chalked up to bad luck this year and you might just try to run it back next year? Um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be. There's definitely not going to be a managerial change. I'm pretty certain of that. I think the any talk about Eddie Howe comes from outside of Newcastle. It's 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 not a feeling that I think there's there's a few, you know as an any fan base you're going to get some people say that they they want to change, but it's very very minor minor at the moment. Um, but he's got so much credit in the bank. I think that he's, the owners really like him, so yeah, he's not going to go anywhere. Um, even if I'm, I'm sure there will be stories that, that he, they'll be looking at other managers and that his, his job's under threat, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, he's still, you know, taking everything into account. The season, the injuries, the, the cup draws we've had, you know, we played six intense Champions League games where we weren't used to doing that and they're all very difficult games. But that takes, takes it out of the squad, especially with the injuries we had at the time, to still sort of put us in a position where we're eighth on the table with, with genuine... Um, possibilities to finish higher than that, to be in the FA Cup quarter final, even if it's that, even if that is a way against Man City, like that's that's, a pretty, that's still pretty good going considering everything that that's happened to us this year. And yeah, if we do finish in that top, if we get sort of European football of any nature, I think that would be a relative success. And we can sort of learn from that, take it into next season, and I'm sure that we'd have learned a lot. Both Eddie would have and, and the, the board, the players. I think players-wise, they'll probably depend on what happens with the financial regulations. How if they get eased up a bit, I'd expect them to spend quite a lot. There'll probably be some movement to like the Callum Wilson, um, Miguel Almiron, uh, maybe even Sean Longstaff. Players like that um, will probably be moved on. I think there'll be quite a lot of trading happening. Maybe Bruno might go if they if they really need to bring in that money. Um, but yeah, I think there'll be a lot of player activity, but I don't think Eddie Howe will be losing his job. I think he's, he's a long way from doing that. Um, and yeah, if, if we hadn't finished fourth last season, I don't think anybody would be looking at our position on the table and talking about his job. I mm. think sort of, he accelerated past what was expected last year. And we've still got players like Dan Byrne, Almiron, Sean Longstaff in our starting 11. Like That's not a team ready to consistently challenge that top four. We've still got a lot of, lot of way to go. I don't think any other manager will be able to get the performance without those that caliber of player as he does. So, yeah, there's, there's been mistakes this season, but yeah, we, with our fixture list remaining, we don't have to play any of the top four again. And with the space in between the games, players coming back now, Willis back, Isaac's back, um, Pope will be back at some point. So, I'd expect us to finish relatively strongly. I can't see us finishing lower than seventh uh, with West Ham's involvement and in Europe, Brighton too. Like. They're going to struggle when that comes back. So, yeah, I think we'll probably finish the call seventh. But I think we're a better team than Manchester United. Um, yeah, I think we can attack that sixth spot. And if we finish sixth, and who knows what might happen in the FA Cup, somebody has to beat Man City. We did it in the Carabao Cup. Maybe we'll do it. I don't, I don't know. But, you know, there's, there's still a lot to play for. And yeah, I think there'll be changes in the summer, but it won't be Eddie Howell losing his job. Gotcha. Cool. Certainly interesting stuff there. You mentioned uh, maybe needing to replace some of those players in your first 11, which dovetails very nicely into Player Watch, where I wanted to know who's a player that is regularly starting for your club right now that might be about to lose their spot in that starting 11. 
Yeah, well, I mentioned earlier that um, Zeki Amdouni got left out today on Sunday's game, and he still came on the bench off the bench and made very little impact in his in his half an hour. So hopefully Amdouni is going to be a big part, a bit part player for the rest of the season. I think the vast majority of Burnley fans now are hoping that James Trafford gets taken out of the firing line. He looks very, very low on confidence. I'm not sure fans should really be chanting for Muric to play instead. That may be a bit unfair, but I can see why they're doing it. It's really making it clear what they think of the situation. Um, the issue is really that we paid all this money for Trafford thinking it was a goalkeeper who could play the ball out from the back. And... He can't, um, which is a bit of a problem when you're wedded to a style that involves playing the ball out from the back. Uh, so that's probably a big part of why we find it so hard this season. But Trafford's made so many mistakes this season and is still playing. It seems likely that company's just going to leave him in for the rest of the season. Considering how badly we've performed this season, there's not been that many changes to the team, really. It's largely the same team week in, week out. You can argue that consistency and selection is important and giving these players time to play together will help them to develop as a team. But to answer that, I would say, look at our results. They are rubbish. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think there's anything to be lost from trying the other players in the squad who haven't played much this season. So I think Muric played well enough last season to deserve a crack at the Premier League. I'd really like to see him get some game time between now and our inevitable demise, even though it would arguably also be fair to then put him in to a bad team with a poor defence with no confidence. So I I think it's difficult now, but I I just feel like Muric should be in the team. Yeah, for Liverpool, it's I think it's going to be Cody Gakpo. Um, he he seems to be one of the players that has not really kicked on in, in the way you usually expect players to kick on when they're being managed by Jurgen Klopp. And I think part of the problem for him is he's a cross between uh, a, a, a 9 and a 10, um, probably more suited to playing as a 10 in behind um, uh, a main striker and playing off of a main striker. And Liverpool just don't play um, like that. So he's been sort of moved around everywhere uh, on the pitch. He, he's had games in midfield. He's played on the left wing. He's played up front. He's played on the right wing. Um, and he can't seem to, you know, to sort of get one position that, okay, this is the one that we're going to give you and, and you can build some sort of momentum and confidence in that position. He He just keeps getting used wherever we've got injuries, it seems like. And obviously with Darwin Nunes coming back, uh, Salah is close to coming back as well. So Bosla is back. It, it seems like he's going to be the one that's going to miss out in that team. Any of those three coming back into the team, um, you know, Harvey Elliott could be moved back from that front three at the moment. He could move back into midfield to accommodate a Darwin Nunes coming into that front line or however it's going to work out. It seems like Gatbo is going to miss out. And then I'll just give a shout out to Joe Gomez as well, who I think was playing phenomenal at left back. Um, obviously, at the time when both Simicas and Robertson were injured, now he's playing centre back. Uh, I mean, uh, central defensive midfield for us at the moment because Endo was a bit injured. He's also another Swiss Army knight, but he's been one that's 
it's worked out for. He's been playing really well this season. And I think it's unfortunate for him that he's going to miss out of a starting 11 position without really losing the jersey. Um, it's just, I guess, people that Klopp um, probably prefers in those positions are are going to get ahead of him. But I, I think it's, it's unfortunate that he's going to lose a, a starting position. Uh, yeah, for, for Newcastle, I'd probably uh, sort of echo what I said earlier. I think it would probably be Al Moron will finally get replaced this summer. I think a lot of fans wanted it to happen last summer, um, but he scored a lot of goals and they sort of decided to strengthen other areas. But yeah, I think that's a position we need, we need to strengthen. That's for my seats player that's been playing a lot that probably shouldn't be. Um, you could probably say Dan Byrne too. He's, he's somebody that needs to be replaced eventually. But um, I don't know if they'll do that this summer or not. They, they probably tried to. They tried to last summer with Lewis Hall, but that, that sort of hasn't quite come to plan. So, um, yeah, they're the main two. I probably think we do need a, a better sort of right attacker. We, we sort of need one. Similar to, to what Anthony Gorn's doing on the left wing, we need we need more goals on our, on our right side. So, yeah, hopefully that'll be what they do this summer. Um, they sound Harvey Barnes, but I don't think he's ever going to play. If on that right side, I think if they could if they could go back to the summer, maybe they would they would buy a player for that right side. Uh, I think they they plan to sort of move Gordon over there, but he'd be so good on the left side that they sort of just had to keep him over there. And, and now we've got sort of two very good or two good Premier League wingers on the, our left side and on the right side that we're sort of lacking. So yeah, we definitely need to strip from there in the summer. Gotcha. Well, obviously, uh, we'll keep an eye out to see if those situations all come to pass. Uh, but that'll do it for today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. If you want to read more of my fire, fire takes on football, <laughs> you can get me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport. Thanks for having me on, Kev. Uh, I've been to the Uchen Akira. You can find me on the EPL Index channel, hosting the Tad Predictable podcast where we do previewing of the Premier League fixtures. I, I believe Jake is is coming back on this week to try and defend his title of Bank It or Burn It. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at JJF with two ends and I'll plug anything I do through there. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, I've been your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff or whatever that website's called in this exact moment. Uh, you can also find the show at EPL Roundtable uh, on that same site or on any of your podcasting platforms. Uh, but yeah, again, huge thanks to you three. Obviously a pleasure, Jamie, Ted, and Jake and folks at home. We hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm.